Welcome to the Rebel Instinct Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Galen Etlin with Acton Software. Today is all about data and empowering marketers. And our guest today is Tejas Manohar, co-founder and co-CEO of HighTouch. He's got a background in software engineering and his company helps businesses better harness their customer data. Notable brands that have taken advantage of this are Spotify, GameStop, the NBA, AutoTrader, and many more. Looking forward to our conversation today, Tejas. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate appreciate it, Galen. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, you've got some really interesting perspective and I want to know all about your career journey up till now, since it sounds kind of like a whirlwind adventure. But first, let's talk about your company, High Touch. You've earned top marks in G2 as a leader in the reverse ETL space. And for those unfamiliar like me, what does that mean about the service you provide? There's a process in like data technology, data engineering, data analytics called ETL. Um, basically means putting data into the warehouse, into a data warehouse. So data warehouses are, you know, databases that companies like to put all their information into for marketing, sales, finance, um, product data, put all the data into it so that you can analyze all your data in one place in tools like Tableau, Looker, Power BI, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And ETL is just the process of extracting data from sources, transforming it into something that makes sense for the warehouse and loading it into the warehouse. And it's just a 20, 30 year old term, ETL data into your warehouse. Reverse ETL, it's the opposite of that. So it's this new idea that we brought to the market, which is like, you have all this data you're using in reporting tools and BI tools in the data warehouse. Um, but there's people who, who want that data outside of BI tools and analytics tools and reporting tools. You know, they want to use that data to personalize a marketing campaign, or they want to use it to adjust ad targeting, or they want to use that data to power conversion events inside of like an advertising network like Facebook or Google so that your ads can be optimized. Um, and all of those processes I mentioned happen outside of BI tools and the typical tools you use a data warehouse for. So reverse ETL, pretty simple concept we brought to the market. You don't even need to know why it's called that, but really all it is is taking data from the warehouse and putting it into all the systems of action um, and systems of engagement that are used around the company, like Salesforce or Marketo or Facebook ads or Google ads. So you can actually act on the data and, and operationalize it and use it for personalization versus um, you know just stare at it in a report or, or a dashboard. So let's dive into that a little bit more. I know the theme in this economy now more than <laughs> ever is for marketers to do more with less. And that data is, as you've mentioned, critically valuable in reaching those goals. How can companies turn that existing data warehouse that you mentioned into a more potent marketing engine? Yeah, great question. So honestly, for the average you know, marketer, data warehouse often wasn't looked at as a, as a tool for them before high touch and before reverse ETL. Um, you know, it's a tool that you would use just for reporting, but it's never a tool that people thought of when it actually came to running marketing campaigns, except for one use case, which is a lot of marketers would download CSVs from the warehouse, upload them to different systems. Um, and yeah, effectively the, the whole theme of doing more with less is a big part of, uh, of like what, what we think about at high touch. And um, I would say that in a couple aspects, one, it's like, um, doing more with the data you have. Um, you know, I have a belief, personally, sales hat off, which is that 
there is tremendous value that companies can can do in their marketing and, and execute on that is is already you know can can be driven from from data that they already have and reports they already have. I'll give you an example. We pretty regularly walk into like large enterprises. I'm not going to name any names here, but you know you mentioned some of our customers from our website earlier. We find that at some of these really large companies, they're spending tens of millions or hundreds of millions on advertising campaigns, but they're showing a lot of those ads to customers they already have. Like customers that have already purchased their product in the last few months are seeing an ad on Facebook or Google. And you don't have to be a performance marketer to know that that's can be a waste of money if you're allocating budget evenly to customers who've already purchased the product and customers who should purchase it. Um, so one of the simplest use cases when you think of doing more with what you have is everyone has a list of their customers in a data warehouse, people who purchased something from their brand recently. Um, and we we have this you know philosophy at Hythus, which is like, just start with a suppression campaign. Like if you're not propagating that list of customers that have recently bought your product, to all the different ad networks, like all of them, like Facebook, Google, TikTok, Snapchat, you know, Line, whatever it is, um, already in a real-time way, then that's like a first use case that you can do uh, with your existing data through a platform like Hitesh. And it can be set up in about like five to 10 minutes. Like it's really that easy. Um, so when I think about doing more with what we have, yeah, I really have this philosophy that um, everyone has some sort of operational uplift that they can provide to their company that meaningfully moves metrics by just using data better or activating their data better in quite a straightforward way. I think that real world that real world example really does hit home. I've definitely bought something and then seen the advertisement for it later where I'm like, am I really the target audience anymore? <laughs> so Yeah, I, I saw an ad for our for our own product at some point. I was like, oh right, we we've, we've got to fix that. You know, we're in this space. So I <laughs> contacted our our uh engine team to uh, adjust our you know suppression list and and get that corrected. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an example of a clear business impact from just using data you already have. Moving along to the next topic here, but kind of in that same vein of how we're seeing everything trend now in this economy, curious for your perspective as MarTech, MarTech stacks get consolidated and reduced in a lot of companies, how do you feel about the future of the industry and what changes do you anticipate ahead of us to adapt to this landscape? I do expect MarTech stacks to, to have a significant amount of both consolidation, so not needing to buy as, as many tools um, in the future, as well as simplification. So I think um, I think a lot of MarTech vendors today, we're probably at fault for this somewhere in our marketing too, talk about really big promises and like how they're going to totally change your marketing or the name of the game for personalization, customer experiences. But then you look at what the actual products do and how people actually use them. And a lot of them are pretty similar, even though the claims are quite different or, um, you know, the, the product is actually quite simple from a surface area perspective, but people are paying a lot of big, big money for these products due to the promises and stuff like that, that they, that they expose online. Um, so personally, I believe that um, over the next few years, uh, we're going to see a lot more clarity brought to the MarTech market um, where vendors need to stop you know, we'll, we'll have to be forced by the economy to actually stop just promising huge things and being able to charge a lot of money for that. And we'll have to get down to the details of like, what do you actually offer and how does that impact my business? And how do you do that in a way that's best for me from a cost perspective as a company versus alternative solutions I could use? 
Um, and I think we're seeing that in the CDP space, right? Um, you know, customer data platforms space I'm very familiar with. I was one of the first 10 engineers and product folks at Segment, um, the leader of that category, now acquired by Twilio, before founding Hightouch. And, and that gave me a lot of inspiration to pr produce Hightouch. And I see so many companies that are buying a CDP and spending hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars and going through all this implementation work. Um, but at the end of the day, their use cases could be accomplished in a much simpler way, like activating data they already have inside of their data warehouse um, and using a tool like Hightouch that can do a little bit of identity stitching and do a little bit of audience building and then start you know, activating that data you have right away versus a huge platform like a CDP that takes six to 12 months to set up. And I think you know, a few years ago when the mindset of companies is growth, 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 buy as much as I can to, to produce growth, um, maybe you didn't care. You just bought a CDP anyways, and you maybe bought a reverse ETL on top of that and buy whatever comes out next, the, the ultimate data platform. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, I think people are putting their thinking caps on and then saying, well, what am I actually buying? And is there a simpler approach to the solution? And I think that'll just change how MarTech companies bring themselves to market. And even before that fully changes, that's our approach at High Touch. Like that's been my approach from the beginning. Like, no, 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 we're keeping things simple. We're bringing clarity to this market. Um, and you can see that on the website, like the title is sync customer data to your tools um, versus something crazy. And um, I think that'll be a differentiator in the long-term in this market and the new standard. Having a really well-defined specific role that is easy to grasp and creates that actionable content for people. Yeah, who use exactly. Your exactly. And then just like on the homepage itself, clarity on what your product solves and what it looks like to solve that. Like, what does the actual product do versus just stuff like, I think I, I looked at the Salesforce website recently. I'll pull it up. Uh, I don't know. I read something like, you know, calling all tra trailblazers, like data plus AI plus customer equals outcomes or something like that. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really think that's the, that's the future of, of software. I think that's probably still the future of Salesforce, but I don't think it's the future of software um, and MarTech personally. That is a big conversation at Act On Software. We are a marketing automation solution. And when we're looking at our product and our competitors, you know, just in the grand scheme of things, it is that same conversation of how can we not make this too complicated? How can we be something that adds value to marketers' lives? How can we make this not just another all-in-one, going to try to do too much for you and be overwhelming for any person who dives into it? So that conversation is definitely one that's top of mind for all of us in the industry right now. No, I mean, you guys are doing it right. You have like a feature section on the homepage. You have actual product screenshots. Like <laughs> this is, um, you know, this is marketing that will work in a... In a we're good to hear, glad to hear that. <laughs> so you tell me, but I, I personally think so. That's been a big, you know, big part of how we got where we are as a business. Let's take a step back now and dive into how you got here. Co-founding a tech company in San Francisco is, is no small feat. I know you're also joining us right now from your new office in New York City. Also very exciting. What led you on this journey to where you are now? I really started my journey when it comes to uh, both MarTech and the startup space worked at a couple of smaller startups before that, but you know, real introduction to Silicon Valley, the startup space and MarTech at Segment. Um, so I was an early engineer at, at, at Segment, one of the first 10 at the company. Um, and a couple of years before that, I had actually used the Segment product um, at an internship of mine. So I was so fascinated and excited by both the product and the 
you know, blog posts they were putting out and the product direction and the funding that I reached out to the founders, cold emailed them and said, I want to join the team in any role I could. Um, and when I joined Segment, the, you know, the CDP space was not called the CDP space. Um, that term hadn't really come about. I think anyone who's been in MarTech in data for a while knows that the ideas of single source of truth, activating your data, uh, you know, um, audience building, all these things have existed forever, decades actually at this point. But the term CDP really only caught traction in the last five, six years. Um, and, um, you know, our growth at Segment was phenomenal, super phenomenal. We really became like the hottest tool amongst the, um, you know, tech stacks of, of budding startups and stuff like that. Um, but I realized that you know, that later became big companies. DoorDash, famous example of it, Instacart, all these things. But one thing I realized is that um, we were having trouble as these small companies became large enterprises and also having trouble for just like more complex businesses and enterprise businesses in general at Segment. And what was that trouble? Um, it was what Gartner's written a lot about, actually. Uh, yeah, Gartner is sometimes easy to read, sometimes not easy to read, but they've written a lot about CDPs and it's, it's actually pretty good. Uh, one of the things they, they talked about is that how 60% of people who bought a CDP in the enterprise can't actually get value from it. They literally are not using it for their marketing use cases. Um, and the reason for that is because um, they're, they sound great in theory, you know, get all your data in one place, have a single source of truth, and be able to activate it across all your channels. Great in theory, but it's, it's really hard to actually execute on that when you're in a complicated company that like one already has a ton of data. Um, across the business coming from every which angle, from product, from sales, from your store, et cetera. There's two reasons why it's really, really hard to implement a CDP. And one of them is that you have to get all your data into the CDP to be able to activate it. And two is that you have to make your data fit the CDP's format. So, you know, companies like Segment, while they're great, have an idea of what your user should be represented as or um, you know, what a product added to cart event should look like or a checkout event should look like, et cetera. And this is a, you know, this is okay for a small company that's, uh, you know, a Shopify store or a 500 person startup with a very specific focused products. But when you're like a large enterprise, like the NBA or PetSmart or GameStop, and you have all these different facets of your business and decades of data, it's a huge process to go set up something like a traditional customer data platform. So, um, you know, with HighTouch, we have a different approach, which is that we allow companies to to use the data they already have um, that's sitting in these data warehouses today and do more with less and uh, and then also have a new level of flexibility when it comes to being used all types of data in your business. So, you know, companies like PetSmart use us so that they can tap into their loyalty system, which tracks pets and not just use users or like checkout data like they would in a typical CDP. Um, and that's possible with kind of our, our architecture of using all the tables in your data warehouse. Um, so, uh, Overall, like, you know, I uh, had an amazing entryway into technology and customer data in the MarTech space at Segment, but my time there um, showed me some of the problems that we were seeing as we were scaling up market that eventually led me to found HighTouch and, and realize that there was a, a different approach that could be brought to the market. That's really cool that that inspired you to make your own solutions from the problems that you were seeing that were not necessarily being met. Now, we haven't had a whole lot of people on this podcast with roots on the engineering side of things within MarTech. I'm really curious, how has that experience contributed to your approach now as co-CEO? My background is, is in engineering. You know, I've never been 
the MarTech person or, or the marketer myself, I guess, until founding Hightouch. That was my introduction into marketing, sales, partnerships, finance, all the other parts of a business that um, me and my co-founders had to learn uh, in starting this business. As a founder, I've always still gravitated towards the the product side of things. You know, where where is the market heading? Um, what can we do as a company that provides outsized value to our customers? Where is differentiation possible at a product level? Because I have a belief that you know, in the long term, you know, these products we're putting on the market have to be differentiated to provide outsized impact to our customers to be sustained. In the short term, we can get away with sales and marketing and all those things, but the long term, product does shine and, and ultimately will matter. Um, so that's uh, that's something I brought to to every aspect of the business um, here at Hightouch. Um, but you know, being from the engineering side of things, uh, I think it's it's never easy to start a startup. You're always going to learn a few more skills. Whether you come from the business side, you'll have to learn product skills. Whether you come from the product side, you'll have to learn business skills. Um, it's been a fantastic learning experience on learning how to do category creation from a marketing perspective with reverse CTL and this new idea of composable CDPs, or how to build out a marketing and sales and partnerships teams. And these teams we never we never built before. And it's just honestly been continuous learning. Like I can say the only thing, you know, the job changes every six months. We've been scaling pretty rapidly. Um, over the last few years, we've gone to now over 500 enterprise customers and some of the biggest brands in the world and Fortune 100 and 500. Um, but it wasn't like that from the beginning. So I'd say every six months, the the, business, the, the role of a, of a co-CEO has been changing dramatically. And the only thing that stays the same is is continuous learning and iteration. Yeah, I mean, jumping off of that, like, do you have an approach to when things are kind of cascading like that? I mean, in a good way for you, it sounds like, you know, that the ball just keeps rolling and maybe is snowballing bigger and bigger. How do you handle that uh, maybe added trajectory as you go? Yeah, great question. Um, so there's two things to balance as a startup founder. Uh, one is just keeping up an immense pace of, of execution, right? Uh, they say this. They say this in every you know uh, startup incubator or investor or blog post or you know post about founding a startup. Talk about founding a startup online. That ideas are are great, but execution is everything, and it's really true. And a lot of execution comes down to speed, speed of iteration. Um, that's what differentiates a great startup from from an okay startup or from a failed startup in a lot of ways. How quickly do you take new things to market? How quickly do you make changes based on what you're seeing? How quickly and efficiently can you act like a big company when in reality, you're only a 10, 20, 50, now 100, around 100 employee company. Um, and uh, that's been a core strength of ours from the beginning as a founding team. You know, we built the product, just the three of us initially. Um, and we, we onboard our first enterprise customers when we just had like a dozen people at the company. But one thing I've had to always remind myself that's been a bit harder for me is that speed isn't everything, you know, speed is a lot and needs to be continued, but reflecting and making sure you're going down the right path strategically is also really important. Uh, and you as the, in the seat of the founder role or the CEO role in the company are the on only person who's really responsible for taking that step back and making sure that we're, we're guiding the ship in the right direction. Um, so a, a trick that's that, I guess a tip or a trick that I would say that's really helped me. And I, continuously have to push myself to do this is 
just making sure there's space and time to reflect on what's going well, what needs to continue, what needs to stop. Well, I think we've heard, you know, how you are a rebel in your work life, you know, in terms of thinking outside the box, really creative, creating your own solutions and, you know, finding that guiding light, if you will. Since this is the Rebel Instinct podcast, though, we want to know how you're a rebel in your non-work life. And you can interpret that any way you like. Great question. Interesting one. I've never gotten this before. Uh, the most rebellious thing I can say about myself is probably that um, very impromptu person. Uh, I kind of find joy in um, not having plans, ironically. I have so much plans all the time uh, with work, <laughs> you know, nine to five every day. That's just the core, you know, business hours is always completely planned. So when I, when the weekend comes about, I always I want to have no plans and just let it go with the flow and um, try something new, um, uh, which is sometimes easy and sometimes hard when you're coordinating with other people, uh, as anyone would know. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that I, I, I bring the intensity that I have from a business perspective to, uh, my very jack of all trades, hobby, lifestyle perspective. So I love being really intense about things. Um, but as you know, as a startup founder, but I like doing those in short stints of like, okay, I'm going to play a lot of table tennis and get a table tennis coach for the next three months. Okay. I'm going to go really into like powerlifting for the next few months. Okay. I'm going to get really into music and I'm going to buy a harmonica for the next few months. So um, trying to keep the intensity that brings me joy, but um, obviously I can't actually get insanely good at anything with the startup job taking up so much time. So, uh, I love to jump around and try different things at the same time. But Hey, I mean, at least you're jumping in and, and trying everything feet first. That's pretty cool. Most people would never even want to start. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in that vein as well, maybe who's a rebel that inspires you? One that you think needs to be celebrated and why? One thing that I think is is pretty common advice in the startup space. And sorry to keep this somewhat work centric, um, but I think one thing that's pretty common advice is, you know, founders don't need to obsess over like every little product detail. You need to be like directionally correct, um, and then you need to work really fast, move fast, ship things left and right, etc. But then there are some companies where I think that that's just pure obsession that they have in like product details and every little detail of everything is like their differentiator in a way. I've always been fascinated by like Steve Jobs, and Apple in this way. I read his biography um, back when I was in school and I was like super, super inspired by it. And I mean, he's definitely a rebel in multiple walks of life uh, from his brutarian behavior to, uh, to the way he breaks his energy to work. Um, but I think another person that really inspires me who brings the same level of like, I have conviction, this is the future. I am going to just be obsessive about the details and make the differentiation that every, everything about our company and product is going to be the right way, um, is, uh, Guillermo, uh, Guillermo Roche at, at, uh, Vercel, the CEO of Vercel. Uh, and I really look up to him as well. He has this just like maniacal focus on the product and the customer and every little detail when it comes to the marketing and design and product and everything, um, which is somewhat against the like typical sort of advice of like, you know, move fast, break things. Um, but it's great. <laughs> and and I really respect that. And um, it's something that I, I aspire to be able to do still at a really high pace. And I'm continuously pushing myself to work on and harness my inner, you know, Steve Jobs or Guillermo. 
there's no right or wrong answer to that one. We've had so many great answers to it. It sounds like that one's really fitting to your personality and your goals. The fact that you're able to juggle so much, you're taking that step back, looking at the high level of everything that's going on in your company, the minute details, makes sense for that to be your inspiration. Now it is time for our Honey, I Don't Think So segment, looking at something that maybe is annoying you lately and that needs to stop in the marketing or MarTech space. I'm gonna give you 60 seconds. So whenever you're ready, just let me know and I'll time you down. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that annoys me in the MarTech space that I've already brought up multiple times is products need to tell you what they actually do. Um, <laughs> it's only getting worse with AI, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I go to the, this, the, the segment website, the company I used to work at. I used to love their website. I used to love it, you know, as a customer. And now it's the tagline is saying, power your AI with best, our best data infrastructure. Like, what do you do to actually help me you know, power my AI with the best data infrastructure? I go to the particle website and now it's, you know, amplify your customer data with AI. I think there's been like radical shift in these companies' websites over the last six months with questionable amounts of changes in the company's products over the last six months. And that discrepancy just bothers me deeply as a product person. So tell us what you do. All right, so Tejas, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm actually quite easy to find. <laughs> Our company's domain is hightouch.com. So it's like high, like high five, and then touch, like the word touch. Um, dot com um, and my email address is my first name so t-e-j-a-s at hightouch.com and then my username on every platform is just just my full name um, but you can probably just google Tejas Hightouch Twitter Tejas Hightouch LinkedIn and um, that might be easier than to spell out my last name here be sure to link to your LinkedIn as well on this episode so for people watching on YouTube you'll be able to see it in the description and people listening go ahead and click on that description and you'll see him but in the meantime again Tejas thank you so much for being here we'll see you next time thanks for having me thanks everyone for listening to the Rebel Instinct podcast be sure to follow Act On Software for updates and upcoming episodes and remember to always act on your Rebel Instinct until next time